When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today on the show, we're sculpting with our minds, we've taken a dose of truth serum, and we're finally tasting the juice of Sappho. That's right, it's our vacation to ECAS. Welcome to Gamjabar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. My name is Leo. And my name's Abu. And you know what? We're finally... No. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm tired, man. I had a day. That truth serum is really kicking in, isn't it? I can't lie. I can't lie. You went full on honesty right there. I can't lie. I'm tired. I don't want to do this podcast. You're holding me hostage. (laughs) Well, in in reality, today we are going to be talking about a planet. And in particular, we're going to be talking about a lot of the plants on that planet. Yeah, yeah. And by this point, the two listeners (laughs) who have heard that pitch and are interested and are still here, (laughs) we promise this is going to be a good episode. Planet Ikaz is incredible. And honestly, Leo, you made me a believer. I was also skeptical when you told me about this idea for today's episode. I My instant reaction was, why are we talking about just a single planet? And is there even enough to talk about in a full episode? Right, yeah. And turns out there is. Yeah. You know, when we were looking at things to talk about, Planet Ikaz, of course, to me, seemed like a natural choice because nary a page of dune goes by without something from the planet being present which is a really interesting truth you know this this one planet is the origin of so much of the uh, kind of interesting world building elements of dune mm-hmm. and it is worth mentioning right now at the top this is a spoiler-free episode. No spoilers. Yep. So if you're getting ready to go on that journey, that Denis Villeneuve journey, hmm. and you're going to see Timothy Chalamet, and you're going to see, ooh, Oscar Isaac's beard, oh, and you're going to see the tall glass of water that is Jason Momoa as Duncan Idaho, and you're going to see so many great things. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I want you to take away from this is this little glimmer of satisfaction because as you sit in that big uh, movie theater chair or as you sit in your couch at home because who knows what's happening this year who knows who knows <laughs> you'll you'll see things happening on screen and some part of your brain will go i think that lamp has microorganisms in it <laughs> from the planet ecast like you're gonna connect those dots and it's gonna be you know, what What I will add to that, actually, I feel like a broken record. I say this almost every episode, but once again, in classic Frank Herbert fashion, so much of Dune is connected to Planet Ecast, and we're going to get into it in th- today's episode, and we're going to make those connections for you. But 
Ikaz is almost never mentioned and definitely <laughs> never explained in any of Frank's novels. Yeah. So if we, if you need reinforcement that nothing we talk about today is going to be a movie spoiler or even a book spoiler, rest assured, none of this <laughs> exists in the novels. Well, let me rephrase that. It does exist. Yeah. It's definitely all there, but it was established later in the Dune Encyclopedia and in later expanded lore. There's going to be some really interesting tidbits of information today. I'll actually amend that a little bit as well, because what I was blown away by as we were writing the script for this episode, a lot of this information that we're going to be talking about is actually in the Dune book, mm. but it's in the like technology of the Imperium or the, tech, the terminology. Yeah, like of the, the appendix at the end or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was interesting because, again, this is stuff that Frank wrote as he was writing Dune because he figured people might have questions about Ilaka Wood. It's like, okay, Frank, I mean, yeah. I guess we're doing an episode on it, so you win. Right. You win. You love to see it. World building, <laughs> world building like that is what makes Dune so great oh, yeah. and why we love it. Totally. But we, we, let's get into it. You know, we've been hyping up Planet Ecaz this entire time, but I think it, it's time to dive into it and we should start as we always do leo at the very beginning absolutely yeah so ikaz to talk about ikaz's history uh and again the timeline of dune episodes that we released are spoiler free as well so if you want to get an idea of when dune happens and the years that i'm about to be saying uh will make more sense if you've listened to those episodes but ikaz was discovered in 8112 bg which is to say before guild and uh, immediately becomes the fief of House Plana, or Plana, uh, House Plana, uh, <laughs> which, which is great. And, you know, immediately it's, it gets a reputation. And I see this in the script, and yeah, I could say it. I mean, I could say what it says in the script, yeah. but Abu, you know I want to hear you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Look. One name that Planet Ecaz gets is the Greenhouse Planet. Yeah. Another name, and the name that I prefer for Planet Ecaz... <laughs> sure. ...is Botanical Bonanza, baby! Oh, delightful. That just... <laughs> oh, I'm not tired anymore. Look at that. Just immediately, all of my fatigue is gone. <laughs> the point here being that this Botanical Bonanza of a planet, baby, this <laughs> Greenhouse... <laughs> This greenhouse planet is full of plant life. Uh, the the climate of Planet Ecaz, when it's first discovered and it's the fief of House Plana, is very high humidity. And that leads, like, not, not a lot of rainfall, but very high humidity and very temperate climates means that there's a lot of plant life. And there's a lot of plants to study. So House Plana does exactly that. They start funding tons and tons of research yeah. and research laboratories and scientists flood the planet. And it, it becomes like a big, in my mind, at least, I imagine it becomes like a huge scientific endeavor for the galactic community. Like the, we found this planet, there's crazy plant life on here. Let's do some research. And that's what House Plana does. Yeah, I, I imagine this is something that people are hearing about in the news as much as news can happen in this sort of spread out universe. You know, what what are the recent discoveries on ICAS, right? These 
again, new medicines, maybe new weird bits of technology. And you might be thinking now, what could plants do? But it's so much. And oh, trust us. Yeah. And, and I think about I like to imagine what this natural ECAS is like before uh-huh. humans come and uh-huh. uh, mess it all up with oh no well <laughs> nuclear explosions <laughs> so what happens is the imperium is not super loving a, a couple of rebellions and word on the street is ikaz is a place where some of these rebellions have headquarters is my understanding of it and one solution to people not agreeing with you is just dropping thousands of nuclear warheads on them. Classic. Classic. Yeah. It's it's a it's a subtle <laughs> approach. Uh, diplomacy, I think, yeah, is the yeah, is the, yeah. the word. But the unintended side effect of this uh, brutish approach to quelling disagreements yeah. is uh, that all of these labs, these experimental facilities where they are gathering plants and running experiments and stuff are full of chemicals and are full of like sciencey shit. Mm-hmm. So blowing those things up, yeah. you are basically coating the planet in these incredibly unpredictable chemicals and then also tons and tons of radiation. And this is known as the slagging of ECAS. And this is the moment that what was already like eight out of 10, a crazy planet gets you know the knob is now glowing and it's like 14 out of 10 and everyone's scared <laughs> and screaming and crying yeah the the knob is glowing because it's radiated don't yeah. touch it <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's a this is a wild turn for ecas of course the the slagging of ecas is a horrific moment in its history uh you fail to mention a small little detail the people all die Oh, right. Oops. Yeah, I forgot, forgot that little tidbit. <laughs> Leo, I know we're focusing on the plants in this episode, but people matter. Leo, I don't know how many times I have to tell you this. I shouldn't joke. It is actually sad. <laughs> it, it is actually sad, right? Like everyone everyone on the planet dies, all these researchers, house plant, I assume, loses some sort of war or status within the empire. And this planet becomes just a nuclear wasteland, irradiated, chemically infused uninhabited just absolute husk of its former self right for thousands of years it's actually so dangerous to go there that the planet remains uninhabitable for the next couple thousand years which is crazy to think right yeah that is until a little something something called the butlerian jihad that you can learn much more about in our timeline episode we keep talking about that (laughs) yeah like this tiny event that happened that just changed the face of everything yeah After the Butlerian Jihad, and after thinking machines have been wiped out of the galaxy through this genocide, humanity was desperate to find biological replacements for a lot of their technological advancements. And we talked about this in our Tech of Dune episode, about how much of Dune has a biological base because there is this fear about technology from the Butlerian Jihad. So what humanity does here at this point is, okay... We need to start exploring planets. We need to branch out. We need to figure out if we can find substitutes for the things that the thinking machines did for us. Because we trust biology more than we trust technology. Right. So they remembered, right, in the history textbooks of thousands of years ago, people maybe remembered this little gem of a planet called ECAS that was 
all the rage back in the mm-hmm. day for some wacky and wazy, crazy plants, you know, crazy, insane greenhouse. Uh, what, what was the word? Botanical bonanza. Botanical <laughs> bonanza, baby. baby. <laughs> that'll never, that'll never get old for me. Um, so th- they remembered this crazy uh, botanical bonanza, baby, baby. Uh, planet. And they go, well, let's maybe go see what's happened. And man, thousands. So here's the Petri dish of ECAS. Thousands of years. This is the ingredients. Thousands of years. Already crazy plant life. Deadly chemicals and radiation. And then you give it time to sort out the craziest stuff. And natural selection happens over thousands of years. And all of the animals have died out, basically. Right? Mm-hmm. Almost all of the animals have died out. There are some insects, but mostly the planet is 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 alive with these plants. And I cannot stress how batshit crazy some of these plants are. To be clear, we are going to be talking about the useful ones, but from a couple of sentences here and there in the encyclopedia and in Dune and in some of the follow-up books, you get the impression that... Going to ECAS in this era is like, you know, a Salvador Dali painting of plant life where you might just be eaten by the coconut tree. (laughs) And oops, (laughs) you're bad for being close to it because it has tentacles. Like, it's it's a crazy, crazy planet. Yeah. In my mind, it it was an Alice in Wonderland planet. Yeah, yeah. If you fell down that rabbit hole into ECAS, watch out. There's going to be talking cat plants and there's going to be, you know, tea parties like it. To me, it was a wacky world of just incredibly dangerous (laughs) and also incredibly useful, which we'll talk about in a bit, plant life covering every inch of it. And it must have been incredibly awe-inspiring for the explorers who do rediscover ECAS after all of these thousands of years of chemicals and radiation and natural selection. And It's actually so unbelievably weird that when these explorers took some samples from ECAS and tried to show their fellow scientists, like, hey, look what we found. Yeah. They got laughed at. They were like, nah, like, that's not what what kind of practical joke are you (laughs) playing on us? This is explorers showing other like seasoned explorers and other seasoned explorers going, that's not a possible place. And of course, they have to say, well, it's right, right over right. there, you know, the glowing orb <laughs> that we've been ignoring for 8,000 years. Uh, yeah, that's the one where we got all this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, they rediscover, they send explorers there. And when they start seeing that these plants may have some really incredible uses, they think, cool, let's experiment with them again. Let's find a solution. Let's Let's see what they can be made to do and let's see what can be made out of them. But there's this problem because the planet is still very irradiated and the planet is still covered in crazy chemicals that, you know, the plants may have adopted. And you have new mm-hmm. bacterias and new diseases and viruses that are all over the place. So explorers would go to the planet for one week periods to harvest just anything that doesn't bite or kill them. Right. <laughs> and right. They drag the weird assortment of things onto their ship and they fly as fast as they can away from this terrible, magical, wonderful planet. 
And then they have to quarantine themselves for a month, which, uh, yeah, man, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to say anything else. Just, just, you just had to trail that sentence off. We all know, <laughs> you know, right. This therapy session has been nice. We'll get back. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're totally right though. The planet is com- still extremely hostile and still uninhabitable even now and regardless of how useful the plant life may be and regardless of how interested these scientists and explorers might be in getting back to ecas they cannot resettle it all resettlement attempts have failed right right and at this point house zeton is the owner of the planet and it's their job to basically just keep this rotation of scientists and explorers and artists going to and from the planet in the most safe way possible. You know, hazmat suits, take some guards with you, take some weapons, take multiple tools of every (laughs) type because like the tools would just like break and degrade so fast. Like, oh, my shovel's melting. Cool. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You're just like digging in the dirt and suddenly your shovel's melting and the handle's on fire. So you you better have a backup shovel and then a backup backup shovel. So and my boots are sentient. <laughs> Fuck. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's again very much still a extremely hostile, uninhabitable. Uh, I would say almost even dead planet, except for the fact that there's just this incredible array of plant life on it that turns out to be incredibly useful for humanity. So yeah, yeah. Leo, what you and I did for sort of the latter half of our episode here today is we went through some of the plant life that you can find on ECAS. We cherry-picked some of the most interesting ones to talk about. Right. And welcome to the botany section of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) You know, everyone comes to science fiction to learn about plants. That's just a part of the part and parcel for the... the... Now, we have to start because of the uncomfortable number of messages we've received. (sighs) I don't know how to feel about this. It's it's wild. Uh, okay, Sappho. Okay? For those of you who already know about the juice of Sappho, wh- why why are y'all so passionate about this? <laughs> Stop emailing us. <laughs> I mean, no, keep emailing us. Like, no, no, uh, please keep emailing us. He's, yes. he's but, kidding. But we love hearing I'm, from I'm you. I'm just lashing out because, but, <laughs> Leo, I was telling this to you earlier, right? I was like, how are there so many Sappho stands in the Dune community? <laughs> Who are you people? What is it about Sappho that attracts you so much? And why are we getting all of these emails and messages and DMs <laughs> on social media about about our Mentat episode yeah. a couple weeks ago yeah. and how we didn't mention Sappho? And y'all are really mad about that. Uh, we The nature of podcasts <laughs> is inevitably, Abu and I, what we're asking is rhetorical because, you know, this that's the nature of the, the medium. But I'm cu- genuinely curious. If you want to throw us a message, let us know. <laughs> Why you or your friends and family are so passionate about Sappho juice. It's cool. No, I mean, no doubt it's cool. No doubt. No doubt. But, you know. That cool? (laughs) That cool? mm, You know, if you're like the best movie that was ever made was like Cars 2. Again, I just have questions. Right, right. (laughs) You do you, you know. But just I just have have questions. Yeah, I'm not going to rain on your Sappho parade, but right, all right. right. Well, let's get let's get the non-Sappho stands caught up and maybe yeah. <laughs> make some new Sappho stands here today on this episode. 
prepare yourselves. Let's yeah. try to explain Sappho Juice to to our listeners and to the people who are going to be going into the upcoming film or yeah. maybe check out the David Lynch film from 1984. Right. And uh, this is something that may actually make an appearance in the upcoming film and definitely did make an appearance yeah. in David Lynch's 1984 doomed film. So Sappho is a juice that is harvested from the roots surrounding some of the craters that were uh, bombed by nuclear bombs on the planet of Ekas. So if you picture this sort of nuclear bombed surface, there are these barrier roots that grow around these craters. And if you uh, harvest the roots and you juice them, you can get this juice of Sappho. Now, what you may see in the Dune movie is we talk about how this is a post-technology universe where people are not really relying on technology. And one of the things that people have done, uh, and this is sort of my spoiler-free explanation of Mintats, is people have trained themselves from a young age often to think like a machine to actually like incredible success, <laughs> like to the point of being able to calculate future possibilities to with, with certainty. So Mentats are a big thing in Dune and in the David Lynch film, which I don't necessarily recommend watching if you're getting ready for this <laughs> new uh, Denis Villeneuve movie. But if you, uh, if you have seen it, you know what I'm talking about. And eventually it can be fun to watch with friends you'll see that Mentats often have this set of ruby red uh, stains on their lips and mouth. Yeah, like a really bad case of chapped lips. Just super, or or they're like, they love, love, love those like strawberry chapsticks. Oh, yeah. They just are mashing it onto their face. It's, mm. Mm. <laughs> it's delicious. So Sappho, and this is, this is actually from the Appendix of Dune, says... Sappho is high-energy liquid extracted from barrier roots of ECAS, commonly used by Mentats who claim it amplifies mental powers. Users develop deep ruby stains on mouth and lips. So, super Mentat juice that, like, boosts Mentat's abilities, right? Mm -hmm. That's cool. Right. It, it makes these human computers process stuff faster. Yeah, it's like Norton antivirus. <laughs> <laughs> It's the opposite of Norton antivirus. It's the opposite. You know how Norton makes your computer run slower? Sappho is the opposite. <laughs> Anti-Norton. <laughs> that's so dumb. It's like overclocking. You're overclocking your Mintats. Yeah, that's that's a good, if you're a PC nerd, it's like overclocking your processor. And uh, I do want to point out, though, Leo, this is an exact quote from the Dune novel. And Frank is not someone who would waste words, right? I think we right. can agree on yeah. that. A certain right. word here... In this exact quote that you've pulled sticks out to me. Yeah. Mentats who claim it amplifies mental powers. <laughs> right. Does that mean it does not? <laughs> you know, we were talking about this offline. <laughs> I will claim that I bowl better when I'm drunk. Uh-huh. I don't think that this <laughs> settles alcohol as a bowling amplifier. <laughs> It's an interesting word, claim, because uh, the encyclopedia continues, uh, experiments with untrained subjects, which is to say people who are not mentats and have not gone through these years of conditioning, uh, reveal no corresponding amplification of mentat-like abilities. So mm. 
there are some possibilities here, and I don't mean to, like, again, rain on the Sappho parade that's clearly been happening for the last 40 years, but... Yeah, we don't need that kind of rage in our inboxes. We don't. We do not. Uh, but the <laughs> it does seem possible that maybe Sappho's just delicious or, like... Yeah. is is a i don't know maybe it's like yeah like weed i don't know it, it's you know again it could just be because the world of dune is just not doesn't have consistent lore and it's that's also possible yeah. <laughs> it is a futile <laughs> task to try and catalog it so uh we should maybe just stop recording <laughs> okay well thanks for listening <laughs> for the second time this episode Bye. <laughs> but in actuality I, I think this may just be uh the word claim may not have translated its way into the encyclopedia or vice versa. But I think what we could extract from this idea is that perhaps it helps Mentats who have been trained and have spent years and decades of their lives training to be these human computers who can do incredible calculations and leaps of logic. Right. Maybe it does help you if you've done that training. But if you haven't and you're just like an average Joe Schmo, like Sappho Juice is just it's just going to be like cranberry juice. It's not going to make you super smart. It's not going to turn you into a human computer. So I think that could be one possibility. Like it helps mentats. It doesn't help normal people who haven't already trained that part of their minds. Right. Uh, another possibility, like you're saying, could be it just tastes really good and the mentats want more of it. So they, they came up with an excuse to have more of it. Right. Possibility number three, of course, is that it could legitimately just be a placebo. Right. Yeah. Like, if you're a Mentat and other Mentats told you growing up that this juice would make you smarter, like, maybe you just start taking the juice because you think it's making you smarter. And then maybe the placebo does, like, help you power your way through some tougher logic puzzles. So it's there's a couple of different ways that that word claim could be interpreted. Right, right. Uh, at the end of the day... Uh, we have spent quite a bit of time of, on Sappho, and I hope you Sappho stands are happy. <laughs> also, fun fact, we actually recorded about Sappho juice for the Mentat episode and then cut it because it was like way off topic. So yeah. there, we have, we have rectified our sins. We have, and by now moving on from Juice of Sappho, we can talk about my favorite Ooh, thing. Yes. Ooh, microorganisms. Love them because, see, microorganisms, you, you might be like, that's not interesting. Yeah, well, I spent 40 minutes talking about glow globes. Four zero. Four zero in in our Dune, uh, the technology of Dune episode, which, again, spoiler free, it's a lot of fun. We talk a lot about the technology that you're going to see in the movie. It's cool. We talk about glow globes. I talk about it too much, frankly. But <laughs> And we love you for it. Oh, thank you. But in this upcoming movie, and actually in the trailer already... You can see it in the trailer. You yeah. can see, you know, we've got Gurney Halleck and Paul Atreides sparring. And in the background, mm -hmm. in the background, I saw some glow globes. And inside of those glow globes are microorganisms from planet ECAS. From planet ECAS. Uh, to our point, if you have seen the Dune trailer for Denis Villeneuve's movie, you have already seen Ecasian life. Exactly. Ah, uh, it's exciting. It's fun. ECAS has already played a part in the Dune trailer. Yeah. Because of these microorganisms that are the light source within the glow globes. Again, a lot of technology in Dune is biological in nature. Yeah. And ECAS is clearly the source for quite a bit of that biology. Yeah. And one of the things it does is it provides light 
these microorganisms glow. So they are incorporated into these glow globes, which are little floating China ball <laughs> like, looking things. I Ikea lamps. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> that's, that is what provides light for all of, in all of the books, basically. Yeah. Like glow globes are everywhere. They're like in, <laughs> every the, in the David Lynch movie, they're in like every goddamn scene in the book. They're mentioned all the time. Like glow globes are everywhere. Let's let's show some respect to these microorganisms, baby. They're from yeah. ECAS. They're from ECAS. They came a long way. And, you know, they're tired, but they're doing a good <laughs> job, and we, we love them. <laughs> so moving on from microorganisms, another interesting plant from the planet ECAS is something called verite, I believe is the pronunciation. And as the name might suggest, and as we actually sort of joked about at the start of this episode, yeah. verite is used to produce a truth serum. Yeah. And this is sort of like a very classic sci-fi and fantasy trope, I would say. Like, right, right. there's a truth serum in Harry Potter. There's a truth serum in, like, every sci-fi book you ever read. And, you know, again, of course, our planet ECAS, our homeboy planet ECAS, is where this comes from. Like, the truth serum is made from one of the this verite plant from ECAS. And an interesting anecdote about this serum is... It's actually not used that much. It's mostly just used for interrogations at this point, because as the encyclopedia points out, right, right. truth serum, when it was first discovered on planet ECAS, was like a hot thing with the nobility, you know, like all the kids were like, ah, yeah. I got some truth serum, you want to take some? And <laughs> they thought it would be fun and funny right. if people were unable to lie. Right, truth or dare. Ultimate truth or dare, yeah. Ultimate truth or dare, yeah. And I imagine the kids, like, back in my day, it was Beyblades was the cool thing that we got in trouble for. Here in the Dune universe, the teenagers got in trouble for truth serum. And and ultimately realized, like, oh, shit, people being blatantly, truthfully honest to my face is all the time is not fun. (laughs) So they stopped doing that. Yeah, that's a damaging middle school experience is blatant (laughs) honesty. That is... A quick way of losing friends. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Truth Serum actually doesn't play it. It's, it is mentioned in the books, I do recall, actually. Yeah. But it doesn't play a major role in the larger universe, and we probably won't see it in the movie. Probably not. Unless we see an interrogation scene, because that is primarily what it's used for at this point, espionage and interrogations. I do like that the definition, which is from, the again, the appendix of Dune, says, quote, one of the ECAS will-destroying narcotics. It renders a person incapable of falsehood. But talk about having a number of will-destroying narcotics. Will-destroying. They destroy your will. <laughs> that And there's multiple of them. What a planet. What a planet. That's why we're doing this what episode. What a planet. We told you this would be interesting. Next up, we're going to be talking about Ilaka Wood. Now, mm-hmm. Ilaka wood is described as uh, a blood-grained wood. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. But <laughs> it can be burned to produce two different narcotics, which are actually very different narcotics. Yo. First and foremost is the Ilaka drug, which kind of makes sense. You burn the Ilaka wood. Ilaka get... wood, Ilaka drug. Got it. Yeah, it I'm makes following. sense. One to one. It's reasonable <laughs> so far. And then secondarily, you have Semuta. Is I think you ha- how you say it. How, would you say Samuta? I'd say so. Yeah, that's how I've been saying it forever. <laughs> so we have Ilaka drug and we have Samuta. Now I will point out that we see uh, in the trailer we see Goopy Baron Harkonnen, who's uh, a character in the in the movie, 
apparently he has a desk made of elaka wood which is to my knowledge the only like prominent instance of it being explicitly used for furniture that's also like a crazy flex right yeah i don't know i I try to imagine some drug being in solid form and building furniture out of it like what a flex i mean that's like a real drug kingpin flex oh yeah i solidified my cocaine (laughs) and it's the chair i sit in now like what the fuck (laughs) wow that is bold okay i guess (laughs) This is a weird. It just looks like you sat in baby powder. Anyway, no, it's cocaine. God damn it! <laughs> it's cocaine. Take me seriously, guys. So, so these two drugs, Elaka drug and Simuta. You burn Elaka wood, and then you use the resin to create these two narcotics. Now, starting with Elaka drug, Elaka drug is quote a narcotic formed by burning blood-grained alaka wood of ikaz its effect is to remove most of the will to self-preservation drugged skin shows a characteristic carrot color commonly used to prepare slave gladiators for the ring so kind of like a berserker slash mind numbing agent that makes you not so much care about your own safety and makes you probably pretty fun to watch in a, in like a blood sport like uh gladiating a uh, gladi- gladiating gladiating <laughs> gladiating <laughs> I, fighting i think the word you're looking for is is fighting fighting for their <laughs> fighting, lives that's the word <laughs> gladiators fight but in this case not fighting for their lives because if you're on a lack of drug no you don't care that self-preservation yeah. part of your brain is just turned off yeah you you just like simply stop caring. And the anecdote in the encyclopedia about this and how a lack of drug was discovered was, I thought was so funny, but it's actually kind of dark. The scientists who discovered a lack of drug would chop down some lack of wood, started burning it for a campfire, fell asleep and like woke up the next day. And for the next couple of days, just couldn't get themselves to care about their safety, even though they were on the dangerous, yeah. well-established, dangerous planet of ECAS. They just stopped caring about their own safety. Yeah. And by the time wow. the drug wore off and they kind of came out of this anti-self-preservation haze, two of the, I think two or three of them had died. One of them had like a beetle in their, like that bore through their skin, like, <laughs> but nobody cared. They just like let it happen because the drug was affecting them so much. Man, I just call that Mondays, you know, <laughs> the beetle starts boring and you're like, yeah, but uh, I mean... I got a meeting at 10. I don't have time for this. I mean, is it really a big deal? I don't know. Yeah. A lack of drug. Yeah. A lack of drug <laughs> is like a really, really hard case of the Mondays that you, <laughs> yeah. that you smoke. And leaves you carrot colored. So that's what a fun side effect. <laughs> so this might be something that we see, you know, obviously, again, we are avoiding spoilers, but the uh, kind of carrot-colored gladiators would be uh, an example of Alaka, if if that ever shows yeah. up. And if it happens in the movie, now you know. Now you know. Another planet ECAS connection. Boom. 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 <laughs> now, the other narcotic that comes out of the Alaka wood is a little more fun, I would say. Oh, totally. Yeah. Less like self-preservation death and more... 1970s Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> This is like the free love drug. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, 1,000%. And Samuta is actually mentioned a lot in the books. It plays a pretty significant role in the novels. Yeah. A lot of characters take this. 
And the Baron Harkonnen we mentioned earlier actually uses this as a bargaining chip against right. people who are addicted to Samuta. So it's it plays a pretty significant role. And I would put money down that we are going to definitely see Samuta in the movie. You think so? If someone looks high and if someone is listening to music, oh, I bet so. Oh, they're probably on Samuta. That would be okay. So yeah, keep your eyes out. Because there are a few scenes in the book, and none of these are like super pivotal moments, no, no. but there are scenes in the book where it'll be like people hanging out, listening to music on this drug. And the thing is, this is the description from the back of the book. Quote, the second narcotic derivative by crystal extraction from burned residue of lacquer wood. The effect described as timeless sustained ecstasy is elicited by certain atonal vibrations referred to as semuta music what a trip hey baby you got some of them atonal vibrations or (laughs) i've gone to karaoke and i've heard some atonal vibrations (laughs) definitely but have they elicited timeless sustained ecstasy they haven't so i I should probably take some (laughs) semuta Yeah, what a way to describe that. Yeah. Timeless, sustained ecstasy. Jeez. Ooh. Sounds great. I mean, sign me up. <laughs> Is there a dispensary around here, a Samuta dispensary? Right. No, it's not legal. It's not legal in New York. <laughs> oh, yet. damn. Okay. Well, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so it's interesting because this Samuta music, it's called music and it's referred to as music, but it's this sort of like droning tone that is a certain vibration and doesn't really have a tone it's or it's not centered around a tone and elicits this crazy feeling when you're on the drug and in the book exactly like abu was saying you might see people like hanging out listening to kind of weird music that would be an example of samuta usage but also another possibility is if a character seems a little bit out of it and like a little bit yeah there's a lot of talk of simuta dullness in people's eyes right right if a character looks like their ecstasy has been sustained for (laughs) timeless amounts timeless amounts yeah (laughs) were those atonal vibrations coming from your room jeffrey and he's like no i was just having ecstasy of the sustained variety for timeless amount That is weirdly specific, Jeffrey. Oh, man. Poor Jeffrey, dude. Samuta hits hard. I will say one thing, one last thing I'll say about the music that I thought was interesting. The encyclopedia did point out that the Samuta music, I suppose the genre or type and style of music that Samuta listeners like to listen to that sort of enhance this ecstasy, the encyclopedia made sure to point out that it is anywhere from bad to unbearable for a sober person (laughs) (laughs) again i can think of a few nights at karaoke where that is uh that is the case yeah i I really think i've heard some samuta music in uh, new york karaoke bars i'm sure you have i'm sure this would be the place (laughs) so moving on from samuta and alaka wood alaka wood is great and you know we get two great narcotics out of one piece of wood and it's incredible boom yeah but I would actually propose that this next wood that we're going to talk about yeah. might take the cake for coolest wood on planet Ecast. I love fogwood. Fogwood. I love how much hype we're giving wood. What a what an episode. <laughs> what an episode this is. Guys, 
Fucking buckle up. We got wood. Get ready, we baby. We got wood, folks. We're talking about plants. <laughs> plants. Uh, Fogwood <laughs> is dope. I love this. This is some real... Yeah, so cool. Alien wood type stuff. And could also make an appearance in the movie, which I think would be a great flair if the if the set designers were like adding this in in the background yeah so fogwood is a plant growth and it's capable of being shaped in situ solely by the power of human thought wow and and of course you think okay so humans can think and use their mind to sculpt this wood naturally artists love this stuff it's it's used in sculptures and Icasian fogwood sculptures are actually mentioned a few times. They are. So this is something that that I I think for me personally was a first indication that fogwood was was a cool thing to look into, and I'm so glad I did because again this wood that as it's growing you can sit in front of it and shape it with your mind and and create a, a sort of living sculpture of your thoughts and feelings and emotions it's really cool really cool have you leo ever seen that like black stuff that reacts to music and vibrations and like oh fer ferrofluid ferrofluid i'm not sure what it's called but that sounds right yeah, i think it's ferrofluid <laughs> yeah it's it's like iron particles in like a liquid form that react to magnetic yeah signal. yeah and you can it do like shapes or it, it responds to vibrations and it does these like crazy shapes on its own yeah that's cool that in my mind that's kind of how i imagine fog would obviously a little more natural and obviously a, a little more Wo like woody <laughs> tree like wood like right 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 but that is essentially what I imagine. Like an artist can go up to this fogwood tree or this fogwood branch piece of lumber and start to shape it with their mind. And the encyclopedia actually goes to great lengths to explain the process because it's not like you can, just, you can just order some fogwood off Amazon and get it in two-day prime shipping and then get to work on your sculpture. Artists have to travel to planet ECAS. Yeah. And if we haven't reinforced this enough... It's dangerous there. Yeah. It's super... Radiation, guys. <laughs> Unknown chemicals. It's super dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> so dangerous. You need backup shovels for your backup shovels. And these artists are like, no, Fogwood is so worth the risk. <laughs> They're risking life and limb to travel to ECAS, find some Fogwood in nature, and then just sit there and think really, really hard at it Dude. to shape it into something beautiful and majestic and sculpture like man if this doesn't prove art is pain yeah. leo i don't know what does i fun fact i got my degree in art so this hits close to home man art is pain <laughs> no doubt <laughs> of course naturally you think like okay modern art yeah wood sculptures yeah fogwood sculptures this is beautiful world building again i love this stuff it's really cool fogwood sculptures are released without titles because they are supposed to evoke the one thing the artist wanted. Yeah. Right. So the the skill of the fogwood sculptor is evoking the one feeling. So all viewers viewing that thing should call it by the same name uh, or the same thing. Now a title becomes popular by the audience, right? Like people go to it and they all go, "Oh, what do, what do you call it?" Yeah. Oh, I call it. Uh, Honey Nut Cheerios are better than plain Cheerios. Oh, that, that's what I was going to call it. Right. 
I don't even believe that. I love plain Cheerios, but like it, it, this sculpture is just speaking to me. That's what the sculpture is. I can't deny that's, and we all agree. And that's suddenly what the sculpture is called. Yeah, I, I, this is a really cool piece of world building. I was just totally entranced reading this part of the encyclopedia because at first I was like, okay, cool. It's like a sculpture thing, whatever. And then I kept reading and the whole point of Fogwood is that it sculpts itself with the human mind into a shape that evokes the same emotion or the same idea of the original artist to every single person that sees it from there forward. Right. That's that's all it can do. It can evoke one thing, and if an artist is good enough, they can shape it into that one thing that universally every human will think when they see it, which is kind of like counter to art. You know, the, there's always this idea that art speaks to everyone in different ways, and like you interpret art in the way it speaks to you. Right. Yeah. Fogwood is almost the antithesis of that. There's only one way you can interpret that Honey Nut Cheerio sculpture, <laughs> and that is the way the artist intended. And I thought that was very cool. And like a really fun tidbit of <laughs> of world building, this idea that the, the, this sculpture can only elicit one thing. So I gave sort of a lighthearted, fun example of a Fogwood sculpture, right? Yeah. The Honey Nut Cheerios sculpture that elicits the the the, the feeling and the, the clear imagery of Honey Nut Cheerios. Exactly. Yeah. There is an example given of. Probably the polar opposite of probably the worst sounding sculpture, <laughs> like the darkest. This, this is tough. Yeah. This is this is a heavy, small paragraph. I mean, walk me through this. So it's a it's a famous sculpture, and it's called Fear. It's called Fear. So again, think of how we just explained Fogwood. Yeah, it is a sculpture that can only elicit one the same thing from everyone who sees it. Right. So everyone who sees this thing instantly feels fear, instantly thinks that is fear. That is the embodiment of fear. That sculpture could mean nothing else but fear. Yeah. That thought alone is horrific. But let's back up. How was this sculpture made? Like what twisted crazy artist <laughs> yeah. was like, I'm going to create fear. Who made it? It turns out nobody. Yeah. What happened was this sculpture was naturally and accidentally created when a fatal shuttle crash landed next to a fogwood tree or in like a fogwood tree clearing. And the tree just <laughs> naturally captured the nearby horror and fear of the crew that was dying from this shuttle oh crash and became this natural sculpture that everyone can now look at and immediately feel fear. Feel the same fear that this crew of this horrific shuttle crash felt in their dying moments. Oh my God. That's so dark. That is so unnecessarily dark. <laughs> I'm also imagining the enterprising person who finds the crashed shuttle and then glances, you know, eastward and sees this horrifying Fogwood sculpture. Oh my God. And goes, yeah. Let's put that in the gallery. <laughs> <laughs> I can make millions off this. I can make money off of this embodiment of the fear of these victims of a... Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Totally wild. Th that's why I, That's why Fogwood gets my vote as the coolest wood mm. on planet ECAS. I, listen, yeah. I think that's a strong point. I don't know if I'm 100% sold, but I valid. Yeah. I will say... Look, I get it. I get it, Leo. You're a Samuta boy. <laughs> Listen, I'm super you, you into that. You need timeless, some of that atonal vibration. <laughs> timeless ecstasy, bro. <laughs> into it. So thinking back onto our theme this episode, in the movie and in any future 
kind of IPs, whether it's graphic novels or uh, the TV series that's eventually coming out. If you see funky looking sculptures in the background, you know, maybe hanging out in the in the entryway for a a big house or I don't know. Again, not sure how it's going to be incorporated, if it's going to be incorporated. But if any of us see a funky looking wood sculpture thing, we can be pretty sure that that's Fogwood. And that's rad. Again, super cool. Super cool. Acasian wood sculpted with the mind. And I hereby give you permission, dear listener, to uh, whisper these tidbits to the person next to you in the theater. Yes. To just utterly ruin their movie going experience. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you'll have to yell at the six foot distance. Samuta comes from burning a lack of wood. Hey, did you know that the lamps have microorganisms? <laughs> Jimmy, shut the fuck. <laughs> Dude, who invited him? He came alone. <laughs> He's VIP. No, Jimmy, we support you. We do. We support you, Jimmy. Tell them. They need to know. Jimmy clearly listens to Kam Jabbar. Clearly. Yeah. So the last thing we want to touch on that you may or may not see in the movies and upcoming pieces of media. I think so. You think so? You think we'll see this? Yeah. I think we will. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. I think you're right. The final thing we're going to talk about is the Crimscale fiber, which is also referred to as Crimscale rope. And this is a woven rope made from strands of the huffuff vine, which is my favorite word to say. Huffuff. Huff, huff. <laughs> it just, it sounds like, like li- when little dogs are a little bit angry, but they haven't really... Oh, yeah. They, they kind of huffuff, you know? Anyway, so the huffuff vine, which is an Ecasian vine, right. uh, pieces, strands of this, are woven together into crimskill fiber, or claw fiber is another kind of phrase. And knots tied in this crimskill fiber will get tighter and tighter and tighter if they're pulled on uh, to, and this is kind of cool, preset limits. Oh. So they won't tighten indefinitely, but they will get tighter and tighter. So this is often used, uh, and we see this across all of Dune. We see this often in when people need to be like tied up. <laughs> yeah. Like if you have a prisoner of war or if you... Uh, yeah, again, if you if you are just trying to make sure someone doesn't go somewhere, this is a really useful material because, you know, you tie their wrists with this stuff. And if they pull on it to get out, it will tighten. It'll automatically get tighter, yeah. Exactly. But it won't then cut off their hands or anything too bad because you can set these limits. And this is compared to something else that we won't really get into today, but I think is kind of fun, called Shiga Wire. And Shiga wire is actually from Seleucus Secundus, which is also kind of cool. But when people are bound in Shiga wire, it's described as like they they wrestle and it cuts into their skin and it's this kind of scary, brutal thing. Right. Crimskill fiber, I feel like, is the we've kidnapped someone, but we're like not committed to killing them. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like we might be some rogues with hearts of gold. Yeah. Like, you don't know. It's like... also Tuesday. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to think about the kidnapping and then also the murder. Yeah. I'm on some Samuta right now. I can't be bothered with this. Listen, like... <laughs> got some timeless ecstasy in the afternoon. <laughs> we're all going to drop truth serum. It's yeah. going to be fun. And if they try to get away from our brutal truths right, right it'll tighten but to preset limits which is great. exactly exactly and <laughs> I, I will admit the truth serum we took at the start of the episode hasn't exactly worn out for me yet <laughs> so my first thought sure as you were explaining the crimscale rope yeah was 
this would be like really kinky for people who are into that. Like, Lord, <laughs> Abu, this is a good, polite podcast where we don't fucking use bad words. And look, no, I one hundred percent, dude. I I'm right there with you. some part of my brain is right there. Look, with you. it gets tight to a certain point and not any further. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, for for the people that are into that. Grimskull rope is for you. And like, you know, don't, don't tell me it's just used for prisoners, okay? People in Dune are definitely using this for sex, guaranteed. We're going to have to wait a few more years to see that adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that adaptation is actually directly coming to Pornhub. It, it won't be in theaters. Oh, God. So. <laughs> That's <Jesus>. so much. <laughs> I will say, the reason I think that we're going to see this in the movie and the reason I think we'll see this across all of the Dune franchises is because, like, think about that trope of, like, movies of someone's going to get tied up at some point, right? Like, the hero's got to get tied a up. A thousand or, percent. Or, like, they're going to tie up the villain and talk to him for too long. Whatever. And again, this is not specific to Dune. But if you see any person being tied up, mm-hmm. this is going to probably be Crimskull Fiber. Yeah. So that's kind of neat. I don't know. Again, this is this Ikazian vine. The huff, huff vine that uh is making an appearance right and and jimmy as soon as you see that rope that's your cue dude that's your cue let everyone know hey guys have you heard of the huff of vine (laughs) you say it say it's huff 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 -huff. it's fun like you know when a dog gets kind of mad at you it's a little dog not a big little dog (laughs) jimmy yeah jimmy we're we stand we stand jimmy (laughs) <laughs> so to to wrap up today's episode yeah leo we've talked about planet ecas we've clearly made all of these connections that we might actually see in the upcoming films and we have seen in previous adaptations and they play a huge role in the books themselves we love ecas we've talked about the plants i wanted to end on a bit of a lighter note yeah and yeah. i actually wanted us to share what we would build with a piece of fogwood. If we braved the dangers of ECAS, went down right, to the planet, right. found ourselves in a fogwood clearing, what would you make out of it? You know, I won't put on any airs. Uh, you asked a couple of days ago, and I thought about it, and the more I thought about it, you know, my my degree in art gets in the way often of having fun with things like this. So I think I settled on my fogwood sculpture would be called wood. And when people saw it, everyone would see it and they'd go, wow, that's wood. Yeah, that's definitely wood. <laughs> Look at that. That is that is the most. But this is, and this is the skill. This is the really, this is the artistry, right? Wow. It would look like birch. <laughs> or it would look like, like aspen. Like it would look like a different kind of wood that's much less exotic. Yeah, but the real skill, Leo, is that it wouldn't exactly look like any kind of wood. Yeah, right. It would just look like general wood, <laughs> you know? It's it's wood. Like nobody could look at it and be like, "Oh, yeah, 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 that's like that's definitely a birch tree." And I feel like that would be impressive on some level. It would. You know, which isn't the point of art, but like people would go, "Wow, he really managed to avoid this being called aspen, yeah. this being called birch. Yeah. It's just called wood." It's kind of oak, but it's not, Jimmy. Like, what is it? Like, <laughs> Jimmy, please. You know everything. Okay, so that's that's my kind of dumb self-referential meta 
uh, answer. I love it. I love it. What about you, Abu? What would you do? So you clearly gave this much more thought than I did. I <laughs> I wrote the question down and then immediately wrote my answer like 30 seconds later uh, and didn't give that much thought to it. But yeah. I think the sculpture that I create, obviously it would be unknown, right? I want to give it a name, just put it out in the world. And inevitably, the popular name for it, I think, would be Double Take. Oh, ooh, intrigue. And the reason is because when I was sitting in front of that tree, yeah, all I wanted more than anything else in the world is for people to look at my statue more than they looked at other people's. <laughs> and so now when people look at my statue, my beautiful Fogwood statue, yeah. they're just going to double take. And that's what it will be known as. It, it is my <laughs> clever and cheap ploy to get people to look at it twice rather than once. I love that your goal ends at two times. You're not like, I'm going to keep them there all night. No, no, no. I want them to look at it twice yeah. and then leave. <laughs> this is not, don't hang out. I mean, the third time, no, that's too much. Don't. Too much, too much, too much. Honestly, it just made me laugh. The thought of people walking in a museum and then being like, what, what? At a, at a piece of sculpture. And then the person behind him walking next to him and be like, wait, what, what? Just all of these people in the museum doing the same yeah. fucking double take at the same piece of art is just such a funny, dumb image in my mind. Yeah. And then they, they turn this. I'm, I'm picturing it. This is like a Scorsese film for me now. They turn and they walk away and then they look down and they put their hand on their chin and they go, huh. <laughs> and that's scene. And, the, and it goes dark and directed by Abu Zafar. And it's great. <laughs> uh, special thanks to Ekaz oh. and that Fogwood. Okay, well, here's a question, Abu, in the moment, oh, off the top of your dome. Oh, man. What do you think is, like, what's an example of a dangerous plant that is on ECAS? Uh, like, like if, you had to, if you had to come up with a plant that you think would be on ECAS, that's crazy enough to be on ECAS and is super dangerous, what would you make? Right, right. Yeah, honestly, ECAS in my mind, while I was researching this episode, was very much a mix of, like I said, Alice in Wonderland and... Is it Felucia, that planet in Star Wars that we see in episode three for like half a second? I have no idea. <laughs> that that big plant. Star Wars nerds, hit me up. I think it's Felucia. Okay. But it, it's a mix of where it's just like a planet with like really big trees and really big mushrooms and whatever. Oh, okay. And it was a mix of that. If I had to come up with like a really dangerous plant <laughs> off the top of my head, that's tough, Leo. I, I think I would say... Yeah, I mean, I mean a, a talking plant would be horrific for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, recites Seinfeld jokes, but like poorly. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. What about like a gun bush? It's just a bush full of guns. <laughs> and they're like, no, there's no way that's a. And then it just starts shooting and they're like, get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic, so help us spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lore Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, he who controls the podcast controls the universe. We'll see you on the Golden Path.